Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. We finish with the chorus. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. That's ringing in my heart and spirit and in your ears still. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. Look at the title to today's message. Prospering through pain. Now, I'm going to tell you from the start of this message, you're not going to walk away with goosebumps. This is not going to be one of those feel-good messages. Rather, it's going to be a message that's intended to build you from the ground up. Your foundation. Because hear me when I say this, you know it's true. Any of you that's 20 years old, everyone faces the challenge of pain. It is inevitable. And here's why I'm bringing the message today with this title. For many believers, pain and struggle can become a stumbling block. And what has happened is that the church has inadvertently set itself up for a trap. And this is that trap set into words. Nothing really bad ever happens to God's good people. Sister Tina, has anything bad ever happened to you? Sister Miriam, has anything bad ever happened in your life? Walking with Jesus, loving Jesus. This message is devoted to the experience of hardship and persecution that often accompanies the Christian life. We are taught in Scripture to adopt a certain mental toughness. So look at your neighbor right now and say, this preacher is about to toughen you up. It's designed to protect us when trouble shows up unannounced. That's why you need this level of toughness, a faith-based toughness. We often hear about the blessings and benefits of devotion to the master. And I will say that is incalculable. I will testify the blessings and and wonder and beauty of our relationship with Christ. It's incalculable. I've lived it. I've walked it. But less is said about the cost of discipleship. And that's what this message is intended to do for you today. Of course, you can follow along in the notes. If you didn't get a bulletin, um, 
you can follow along in your bulletin. I provide notes for you. Um, Stephen McFarland, stand up for a minute. Mario, is there anyone in here that doesn't have a bulletin that would like to have one now that you know? I know these folks came in from the side door and I suspected they might not have a bulletin. And I want every one of you to walk away with this material today. Jesus clearly warned us. Here's what he said. Anyone else? Stephen's looking for anybody on this side. You want to take notes? You've got pencils, pens right there in the pew and bulletins now if you don't have that. If you don't have the app, eventually all of you could have the app or an electronic device and you could follow the notes that way. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look at your neighbor right now and say, are you denying yourself? Doesn't, sin, doesn't give you goosebumps on the back of your neck, does it? Are you denying yourself? That's not something that goes, ooh, that feels so good. We're going to leap from this statement by Jesus to the writings of Paul the Apostle who may be our very best biblical example of walking out this concept. He actually believed what Jesus wrote and then he walked it out. And here's what Paul the Apostle had to say to a young pastor at the time he writes in 2 Timothy. It is chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Endure suffering along with me. Woo! There's shouting material right there, ain't it? Oh, hold on. Maybe that's not shouting material, is it? Endure suffering along with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Guess who enlisted you? We sometimes refer to him as master, along with savior. Heavenly Father, he is your recruiting officer. You're in his army. And so Paul writes these words, endure like a good soldier. Interesting that Paul references military service in this writing. Soldiers were everywhere in his world. Everywhere. They were, the Roman soldiers ruled that entire region that Paul would have operated in. How is the training and life of a soldier relevant to the life of the Christian? Because otherwise, why would he mention it? What does it mean to suffer, endure suffering as a good soldier? Now, the hero soldier view that we often get on our televisions and in movies is glamorized in a way that it's not really true to the issue. Because what 
they have to do in an hour and a half movie is capitalize on the things that appeal to you. So they may focus on this one, that the, the strength of that soldier and the resolve of that soldier and his unit that they are part of and the th events they, they were a part of. But every soldier, any one that I have ever talked to that actually saw combat doesn't paint some glorious picture of it. On the contrary, the men, and I've only talked to men who have been in conflict and combat, but, but I can distinctly recall talking to one of our saints that has gone on to glory last year, Roy Applegate, and, and he had been a part of World War II. He literally saw with his own eyes Mussolini hung. It wasn't, it wasn't a one-day event because they left him hanging for days. He saw it. He doesn't paint some sort of glamorized picture of war. It was painful and difficult. It was a struggle day in and day out. You ate when you got the opportunity to eat. Some days you didn't eat for days. Nothing pretty about it. Nothing nice. And here's Paul painting this picture. To endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let me read you a little bit. This is a letter from a gentleman by the name of Major Sullivan Ballou. Now he writes this July 14th, 1861. So you know what conflict he's talking from, right? July 14, 1861. If you don't know that, go back and take real American history. Indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write you again. You hear the words? I feel impelled to write a few lines that, that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. Our movement may be one of a few days duration and full of pleasure and it may be one of severe conflict and death to me. Not my will but thine O God be done. If it is necessary that I should fall on the battlefield for any country I am ready. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans upon the triumph of government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. This is not a fake letter that somebody made up in a corner somewhere. This is a real letter of a man who literally lost his life before this letter 
reached his wife. It was delivered to his wife by another officer weeks later. This concept of seems almost unreasonable to us today in our world with our individual rights, self-fulfillment, and the entitlement mentality that rules in our world today. Seems almost foreign, unreasonable. Doesn't make sense for us to join a battle, to be a part of something that's bigger than you are, that's hard day in and day out. Have you ever thought of yourself as a highly disciplined soldier in the Lord's army? Let me say that again, and I want you to catch all of it. Have you ever thought of yourself as a highly disciplined soldier in the Lord's army? Gone are the many hymns that speak of battle. Onward, Christian soldier, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle. See us go. See us marching. Marching into battle. It's not that we don't have some courses that speak of the battle, but we have a whole lot more that speak of how good it feels to be a believer. How pleasant it is to be in the presence of the Lord. How wonderful it is to know our Savior. And that is right and that is good. But I think in the process, we've forgotten that we're in a battle. Eternal lives are at stake. We need some soldiers that are willing to lay down their lives, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus with all that is within them. Are you prepared to fight some battles? And, and in fact, by our current church's culture, culture's estimate, lose. I know I, I want you to measure that. I know you don't like the idea. Wait a minute. I'm a child of God. I never lose. I'm a full-on believer. I never quit and I never lose. Are you actually fighting in this battle? Listen, I want you to understand something. I'm not doubting your faith. And, but, but here, we, we know we will win the war. I know this. We will win. She said, Pastor Mackay, she sang it. We win. We win. We win. I know that. But... We are not assured of winning every conflict or skirmish. Let me read some more words from a 
another. See, I have a big old hymnal. I keep these just, just because. You never know when you want to look back at a good old hymn. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken by Henry F. Light, written in 1831. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shalt be. I know it's King James and it's tough for you to follow, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm leaving everything that matters to me and I'm following you. Perish every fond ambition. All I've sought and hoped and known. Yet how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. That's resolve. That's understanding. Better days will come. You see, the difference with Paul, with Paul is that he lived in the assumption that sold-out believers would face difficulties. He lived in that assumption. Sold-out believers would face difficulty. This concept of being a soldier for Jesus was meant to mentally prepare us for that which we would face. That's why he wrote it. That's why he sends the letter. Do you know that every soldier that signs up signs a pledge of willingness to give themselves for their country, in service for their country? They have to actually sign up and say that. Ain't that right, Sister Alicia? They know they're giving up their life as they knew it for a greater cause. We sang the chorus just a little while ago, it's all about you, but not you. It's all about him. A good soldier doesn't expect to have a life of ease and comfort. You can say, ouch. With this kind of mentality, life can never take you by surprise, though. And that's why I'm preaching this today. Because I'm sorry. I, I, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of seeing believers cast to the side, unable to stand because of the battle. It tells me that your foundation was weak. And I've determined, this preacher has determined that your foundation will be strong. Your life, your walk with Christ is built on the rock, not shifting sand. Because with this kind of mentality, life will never take you by surprise. We're, when you... Uh, are in that valley of the shadow of death. 
experience, this kind of teaching and training is going to hold you up. This taking up of the cross is a giving up of your life. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He wrote, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. He went physical on this. Honor God with your body. And I know we can preach from that that you live a life of holiness, that you live a life walking upright with God. Yes, we use that for this, but it also implies that you are not your own. Even your physical body, if you have to, you will dedicate it to Christ. In fact, we are told we should. Even that physical body, good or bad as it may be, It's his. And with this biblical understanding uh, and a tough, well-fortified faith, the awesome why loses its scary significance. Why is this happening to me? Why has God allowed this? Come on, you know you've said it. Even you good, faith-filled believers. Why, God, have you allowed this? Because you know he filters everything. You know it comes through his processing. We like the finished product. We don't like the process. You know? Some of you, you have... You love eating a good meal. Pretty much all of us do. I, I won't repeat last week's message and uh, live to eat, eat to live scenario, but you all enjoy eating a good meal. But how about it, sisters? It could take three hours to cook a good meal. To other, more. For goodness sake, I, I smoked some pork loin roasts. They were 12 hours in the smoker. You're having to get up. I had to get up early in the morning on a day off to put some chips in the smoker so it would keep smoking. It takes a lot of effort. We, we like the finished product. Everybody enjoys eating that. Oh, man, this is awesome. Yeah, I wish you'd have been up at 3 a.m. with me. And all you moms know exactly what I'm talking about. All of you that prepare meals and you go through the process. The process is not fun. The product, the end product can be amazing. Let's move on. A good soldier of Jesus has a better question though why does it matter instead of why is this happening to me why does it matter 
It's not your responsibility to explain what God is doing with your life. He may not always provide you with that information. I can tell you this, having walked this out. I've walked this out. I'm not talking to you as someone who doesn't understand this concept. I'm talking to you as somebody who's literally walked this out with my own life. I know there are several of you sitting in the room today that don't know this, but in 2018, just over three years ago, I had open heart surgery. Just over three years ago. And I had to look this beautiful woman in the face when she's asking me these questions, just like you're thinking right now when you're in your hardship. Why? Why are we going through this? I don't have deep, dark secrets. There's not a closet of skeletons in our life. It's not. They don't exist. So why, why am I telling you that? I don't think I deserved what I was going through. It was hard. I wouldn't have volunteered for it. And it was preceded by nine days in the hospital from a bacterial infection. Nine days. Who stays in the hospital nine days? I'm a pastor. If I don't get to see you pre-COVID, forget COVID's changed everything, but pre-COVID, if I don't see you in a day, day and a half, I'm not going to see you in the hospital. They spit you out in a day. Take out a kidney out on the street tomorrow. Some of you, anybody who had a knee replaced, I mean, you're up walking that day? And home in Adair, they'll even do outpatient surgery with that, some of that stuff. So my point is, nine days for a bacterial infection that when we're all done with it, I'm all cured, they still can't tell me how I got it, really. It has a name. Doctors are pointing the finger at, at, at the dentist saying it's all about your mouth. And the dentist is saying, nope, not you. Was I, was in the, I was in the most miserable pain. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I had 104 fever. 104. Bad. Couldn't sleep. I don't think I deserved any of it. But I had to have the kind of resolve that said, I can walk this out because I have Jesus with me. And I don't have all the answers. I haven't been able to answer the why yet, really. I have a clue that has something to do with the fact that I'm standing up in front of you today. That's the clue. Because I can tell you that there's no battle you can face that you cannot win. No battle. It doesn't get more difficult. I, I don't mean that the, you couldn't have more long-term pain and difficult, but, but you're facing the surgeon and they're talking about cracking this open? That's not a thing you look at and go, oh, okay, no big deal. It's not. It is a big deal. They're literally going to put a knife in the side of your heart. 
get in there and fix some stuff up. So what we must do is to turn loose and let God be God. That's what we do. Because this is the path to peace that passes understanding. Stop trying to figure it all out and just trust the Lord. He knows your tomorrow. He knows who you're going to be talking to next week, next month, next year, five years from now, should he tarry. He knows. He knows what it's like. He knows your pain. He knows your anguish. What we have to do is adopt the mind of Christ. And now we turn to Peter, another apostle who writes these words, famous words, chapter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. There it is again, another apostle saying, be ready to suffer. Doesn't send chills up your spine, does it? For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Peter writes that we are to adopt the mind of Christ with regards to suffering. Is there a logical reason why the Lord asks us to strengthen our resolve and meet our difficulties head on? Is there a logical reason why the Lord asks us to strengthen our resolve and meet our difficulties head on? The yeah answer is yes, kind of. It's because the, of the close relationship between the mind, body, and spirit in the human experience. It's all related. Mind, body, spirit. It's all related. We forget that we are a spirit being that has a body, a mind and will. We forget that. We cannot, however, and this is a part, I'm going to go into a series of a couple of things that are not going to make you feel good. On the contrary, you will not like some of them. That doesn't mean I can't say them or shouldn't say them. I must. We, we cannot be spiritually stable and emotionally unstable at the same time. I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to let it sink in. Let it bother you for a bit. Cannot be spiritually stable and emotionally unstable at the same time. What do you mean, preacher? Let me back this up a little bit. We are in a spiritual war with a deadly foe tracking us every hour of every day. You don't have to invite him. On the contrary, your enemy walks about, I'm paraphrasing, seeking whom he may devour. Again from Peter. Your enemy walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's not looking for those he already has. He's looking for those who are trying to live for Jesus. He's hunting you. 
As a hunter, I've spent some time in the woods, and I remember my second trip to Colorado hunting elk. And I remember setting myself under a pine tree with my back to one section, watching another section. And you know, we hunters do some stuff. You're going to call it dumb, but we do it with a purpose. So you can buy wafers that actually when you open the can, you can hang the wafer around you in a tree. And you know what those wafers smell like? Like elk. Yes, it's taken from the urine. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm hunting elk, but this region of the country has mountain lions. And I now smell like an elk. Hmm, it's different when you are being hunted. My posture took on a different appearance at that moment. Now I'm watching over my shoulder, not to look for game only, but to be sure I wasn't game. You need to adopt that kind of posture, not out of fear like I was in that moment, but out of an understanding that your enemy is looking to trip you up. He's looking to cause you to stumble, to destroy you. He doesn't want to make you just messed up a little bit. Right? If Albert had hair... I could mess his hair up a little bit, like doing that. <laughs> Your enemy's not trying to just mess you up. He's trying to destroy you. So we've got to take on a different mindset. He's tracking us. And so what happens? We need to be in the best shape possible to cope with the darts and arrows that he hurls our way best shape possible. And here's another one of those things that hurt. Flabby, overindulged, pampered Christians just don't have the stamina to fight this battle. Now get your mind off of the words used as such. It's not about your physical body I'm talking but this is how we are as a church. Again, we love the courses and, and such that are, Jesus loves me. This I know. We love that stuff. Going all the way back to childhood. We love that kind of stuff. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. We love that because that feels good. But he also said, take up your cross. 
You need to be willing. I'm paraphrasing, but that's exactly what Jesus meant. You need to be willing to lay down your life for this work. So what does God do? On occasion, God must put us on a spiritual treadmill to keep us in good fighting condition. So my question for you today is how tough is your faith? Could be that you're in the middle of a struggle. And I'm not telling you God put you in the struggle or God made this happen to you. What I'm telling you is that you will walk, you will be in the midst of struggles at some point in your life. It's inevitable. You're going to have pain. You're going to face struggles. And the only question is, how are you going to face that struggle? How strong are you going to be in the fight? Will we permit the Lord to use our weaknesses, our disability, our inadequacy to accomplish his purpose? Will you? That's a big ask. Will you worship and serve the master even in suffering? Got to take that R off of the end of you. Second word. That was a misprint. Will you worship and serve the master even in suffering? Does your expectation as followers of Jesus leave room for frustration and imperfection? It's not in your notes. That one was a freebie. You just have to remember it. Does your expectation as followers of Jesus leave room for frustration and imperfection? What does that mean? That means when it doesn't look like you think it should look, are you still going to love Jesus with all of your heart? When it doesn't feel good, when you're not getting that Jesus is attaboy, when he's saying you're doing a great job, isn't it great to be in love? The romanticized Jesus that we all serve doesn't leave room for a battle. So I'll go into our third main point word. And as I said in the early service, I fought hard not saying, word up. I know I'm aging myself, but. The question is, does the word have anything to say to us here about how we live our lives and what causes us to complain? Does the word have anything to say to us? Of course. Paul addresses the issue of toughness. He addresses this issue not only in the writings we've noted already in this message, but from his life, particularly from the last days of his life. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church while in prison in Rome. I want you to lock on to that for just a minute. Everything in this message is built up to this, my finish. This is going to have a big finish. 
Now, it also appears that later Paul would be executed because of his preaching of the gospel in Rome. We know from his writings that he had been through every conceivable hardship and inconvenience. He doesn't leave us wondering these questions. Now, we can hardly imagine what kind of miserable condition the dungeons of his day were like. We can't imagine it. Just, you cannot imagine it. There was nothing like what our prisons are today. Nothing. Nothing remotely close to it. Paul would have considered life in our prisons a joy. They didn't have unions fighting for the rights of the prisoners. Government officials giving them three nutritious meals a day in a perfectly, perfect atmosphere where they can work out two and three hours a day, shoot basketball, and watch any program on television they wanted because they have cable. You can hardly imagine what it was like for Paul, but get in your head dark, musty, uncomfortable, often in chains while in stone environment where you're not, it's not like you had a nice mat, pillows to lay your head on, somebody that would do your wash every day. Why am I saying all of this? Paul had every right to be distraught at this stage of his life. Every right. Remember, he's writing from prison. Remember this. He's writing to a church in Philippi from prison. He's not writing from a nice desk, well-lit He doesn't have a laptop where he can correct words and mistakes of such nature. He's writing from prison in Rome. You got the picture, right? So he had every right to be distraught at this stage of his life. Clearly, what had happened to him was not fair. It was not fair. We know Paul's life. He was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave up his life for Jesus. And yet 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, reads this way. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. What a pleasure cruise. And when they beat you with rods, it wasn't just to make you feel a little bad. They intentionally expected to open your back up with the whip. Because it wasn't one slap or two or three. 39 was the given number of lashes. 39 times. 
And he had that three times over. And Stone, to the extent that they thought he was dead, you don't do that with a couple of nice little pellets. He could have complained bitterly that God had called him to such a difficult task and then abandoned him to be beaten or stoned or other such things. He certainly could have asked, why? What did I do to deserve this? Instead, I titled my conclusion, Instead. Now remember, Paul's writing from prison in Rome. From prison. For what? For preaching the gospel. Doing the work Jesus actually and literally asked him to do. He was doing what Jesus said to do. Any of you fit in this category yet? Are you starting to feel this now? He was doing literally what Jesus asked him to do, and he's in prison. Where you at, Lord? And here's what he writes. Instead of all the negative things he could have done or said, he wrote the Philippians. He wrote what we know of as the letter to the Philippians. And listen to what he writes. Listen to how he starts this passage from verse 4 in chapter 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. What? Remember where he is? Remember the conditions? They were nothing like our prisons. Listen, if you didn't, if you weren't brought food, you didn't get food. They didn't care. There was no unions. There were no senators. There were no people fighting for the rights of the inmates. If you got food, it was because somebody loved you enough to bring you food from their house. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. He goes on. Don't worry about anything. Now you know where I get the title to this section. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You see, he's dealing with the whole person. Remember what I said? You can't be emotionally unstable and spiritually stable at the same time. So he says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But he's not done. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, which is not the final thing, 
He's like a lot of us preachers. On his conclusion, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable. He's writing from prison. And right and pure fix. You hear it? He's not suggesting. He's simply saying, if you want to be stable in your heart and mind as you walk this difficult road out in Christ Jesus, fix, determine. You make the decision to put your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Doesn't sound like a bitter man, does it? In fact, this sounds like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and what Paul is doing, he's still fighting for our good and for the good of the kingdom. He's still fighting for it. From prison in Rome. You still with me? From prison in Rome. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. That's not just rejoice when it's good, not just when it feels right, when it's all nice. Rejoice. And again, rejoice. In fact, fix your eyes on that which is good and pure and just. Admirable. And then he addresses the matter of expectations directly. This is the part that blows me away when I read it. And so before I read this part, in prison, in Rome, loving Jesus, doing the work Jesus has asked him to do, listen to these words. This is what you walk away with today. This is now same chapter, just a few verses later, remember what I told you when he said, and one final thing? Well, there was another thing, but here we go. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, do you hear the words? Pause for a moment, hear it. I have learned. Processing. He's learned. Where did you learn? <laughs> you learned it by going through it. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach, remember what I said? What that means is that on occasion, his friends let him down. The people he was counting on to bring me food while I'm in prison serving the Lord suffering for Jesus, the people I was counting on to fix this for me, let me down. There's a word for you. All of you believers, ever been let down by another believer? Here's the Apostle Paul. Whether it was full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and you can quote this verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. From prison in Rome. Loving Jesus with this whole being. I can do everything through Christ. 
who gives me strength. In other words, I'm not reliant upon my feelings. I'm not reliant on you backing me up and you telling me, boy, you're doing such a great, great job in that Sunday school class that you lead. Oh, you're the most amazing youth pastor among all youth pastors that have ever lived. He's not, that's not what he's saying, is he? He's saying, I'm, I can do this, and the way that I can do this is through the strength that comes from Jesus alone. On a rock-solid faith in the one who will never let you down. Maybe we need to temper our expectations a little bit because it doesn't mean that you won't have trouble. That's the difference. Paul's secret of contentment emerges from a principle of solid faith. It was built on the foundation of Christ Jesus. He understood that from the life of Christ, he had a perfect example of what it meant to live this and walk this out. That if you're going to do this as a good soldier, there are going to be some days that are tough. Right, James? Yes. There'll be some days that, that you want to quit. Right, Victor? There'll be some days that your buddies aren't backing you up and it doesn't all feel good and somebody that you love let you down. There'll be some days like that as you follow Jesus. Because all of us are imperfect, we're going to mess up on you on occasion. Sometimes our phone will not ring or we won't pick it up and we have no real good excuse. We just didn't because we were involved with something and I didn't look at the text until the next morning and I'm sorry, it was too late then. You spent a day and a night drifting. It's, it is to trust God regardless of the circumstances and not to expect too much perfection in this life. That's what Paul's teaching us. Trust God regardless of the circumstances. You won't be able to answer all of the ins and outs of what's going on in your life today. You won't. It won't. You will not make sense of it. I can tell you, Pastor Amy and I have walked through so many circumstances. I can tell you five and ten years later why it meant. Now it makes sense. Now I can figure something out of it, but I, I'll tell you right now, as a patient, an open heart patient, I'm like, you know, Lord, I could have learned some other way. This was not in my plan. I, don't, I didn't spend the last 27 years riding a bicycle so I could sit on an operating table and have them open up my chest. I was trying to keep things good, and nobody in my family history really has heart Issues, none of them. And I'm the one really trying to live for Jesus. Some of them are. I don't want that confused. But, but I'm just saying that I don't. Nothing I thought I did deserved that. And yet, I can stand up here in front of you right now today, three years plus later, and say that God was faithful in the the most difficult hour of my life. Yes. Yes. 
He wasn't just faithful to me. He was faithful to this beautiful woman that's sitting at my side asking some of the same questions. What am I going to do? How are we going to do this? And you're saying, deacon board and elders, we didn't hire this preacher so he could be on an operating table with his heart. He looked good. <laughs> what is up with that? What? I know how to trust Jesus, though. I know that when David writes, yay, in the King James, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I know that. I don't know that just because it says it. I know that because I walked it. Face the shadow of death. And here I am. Let me close it. Pastor Mackay, you're going to want to head up there. You and I know a better day is coming for those of us who have put our trust in Christ and his personhood. I should have told you to bring some shirts today, Albert. His mantra is better days will come. He puts it on, he's an artist, and he writes it on shirts, hats, shorts, webs, uh, I mean, uh, sweatshirts. He's got it all. He's got it all, don't he, Tina? He's got it all. Now, I, I don't want to make just, I just don't want it being made light, though, because Paul actually said that to the church in Philippi. He actually said it. We know that better days will come. We know it. That's not some false hope. So what does that mean to you? That means to you, listen, I had to be able to look her in the eye and say this, baby, I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I know this. If I don't wake up here and see you, I will see Jesus. And this may be tough for you, but you will see him too, just like me. That's the kind of resolve I want you to have in the middle of your mess right now. Right now. Whatever hardship you're facing, however bad it may appear to be to you, I want you to know you can do everything and anything through Christ. He will show up. He will be there. And you will make it through. Stand to your feet. I don't know what your story is. I'm certain because of the size of the congregation, a beautiful group out again this morning. But I know that 
I actually do know some of your situations. And then it's tough. You feel like you've taken a beat down. Can I remind you that some of the skirmishes, you may not win the skirmish, but you're going to win the war. I'm not saying that you won't win the skirmishes. I'm simply saying, temper your expectations enough to understand you may go through some stuff that doesn't fit your plan. God will be faithful regardless to you directly. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. You would say it this way, preacher, I am in the midst of the greatest mess. I can't see the end from the beginning. It hurts and I don't like being here. Pray for me. Lift your hand up. It's okay to be honest. Say, I'm in the middle of it. It hurts. This is tough. Maybe you're watching online and you need to, you have your hand up, got your emoji hand up, you're saying, I, I need his help. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Listen to the words of this preacher today. You will. Grab hold of that faith that can only be built when you're walking out the pain. Grab hold of it. Say, I know I can do it, Lord, with your help. I can do it, Lord. I can do it. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to, I may have some, I may tremble a little bit, but I'm not going to fall because you are with me. If you want to get out of your seat, you can come forward right now. That fits you. You raise your hand and you say, I just want some prayer. I need to be lifted up. yourself. some of you that just don't want to come up front. Maybe you come out, came up enough times that you just, you're even tired of 
leaving room for the enemy to see that you're struggling. I'm okay with that. I just want you to know that God will be there with you and walk with you through this. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I don't have a good relationship with Christ. Fact is, if I were honest with you, preacher, my relationship with Christ is on rocky terms. I'm unsure of what it looks like. And if he were to rapture his church today, I'm not sure he'd take me with you, with him. If there's even the slightest bit of doubt whether or not Jesus would take you with him, if there's the possibility that you've not ever said, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Or if you did that somewhere along the way, but you walked away and you know you walked away and your relationship with Christ is in jeopardy. If that's your story today and you want to change it, lift your hand right where you're at. Say, I got to change this. I want to know that I'm in a right relationship with Christ. I want to know that things are good between God and I. Come on. I'm not asking you if you've ever been to church. I'm asking you, are you sure? Should he rapture his church or death come to your doorstep, he would take you with him. And if you have a little bit of doubt, let's remove it today. Lift your hand. Say, let's, I need to pray, Pastor. I need to get things right with the Lord. Is there anybody like that in the room? I'm not seeing anyone's hand this moment up make sure things are good with you and Jesus that being the case while they continue to pray I'm going to pray for the rest of you that should be up here some of you that are in the midst of mess but didn't want to come up today Lord here's the thing Lord I know this if they're not in the middle of a mess right now at some point they're going to face struggle and their faith will be challenged when their expectations exceed what they see you doing in their lives or what they see you're not preventing from coming to their doorstep. When those expectations are higher, for them than what they perhaps should be. I'm asking you, God, to give them the faith, the courage, the strength to stand in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the fight, when it seems more than they can bear. Remind them, as Paul wrote to us in Philippians 4:13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and backing up a few verses, he said to fix our eyes. Help them to fix their eyes, their mind, their spirit. Help them to fix their eyes on the triumph that comes from the walk because you can't threaten us with death. Death means we're in your presence, Lord. And so we can't be threatened when the enemy comes and he's firing those darts at us. God, help us to have that shield of faith that's more than enough, that's strong enough, that no matter what the enemy throws at us, we can and will stand. No matter what 
fiery darts are hurled in our direction, we can and will stand, no matter what it looks like, feels like, sounds like. In the harshest of conditions from a Roman prison, Paul said, I can. And Lord, with you, so can we. Strengthen your people as they go their way this day. Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, don't forget to sign up if you haven't yet for our annual picnic. It is next Saturday. I know that's Labor Day weekend. But we'd love to have you be a part of it. Get signed up. Tell us how many of you are coming and what you're bringing to be a blessing to that crew. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the lehigh valley but around the world we want to do our part in reaching the people that god has entrusted to us with the gospel of jesus christ you can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry god bless you have an amazing day remember you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.